0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every
1: day. What is up, everybody, and welcome to another week of Locked On Vikings. I am so excited to bring you this week... We got a whole lot that's gonna go on and a whole lot to talk about. I am your host. I am your pal. I'm the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at lukebraunNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. You can find this show in your car. Just ask your smart device to play podcast Locked On Vikings. It'll find the most recent episode, and it should take you all the way to work or school or wherever your daily commute is. First things first. The pain bracket ended. Thank you guys so much for participating in that weird and wild, stupid thing. Uh, It was a lot of fun just to reminisce about Vikings history with you all. It was so close. Uh, If I had only done the poll for one day, I actually think that 1998 would have won. But I did it for two days because I kind of wanted it to be a little bit more of an event. And over the course of the second day... Uh, more, I think, younger fans found it, voted for 2009, and therefore the winner of the pain bracket, the most painful thing for Vikings fans to think about, is the 2009 NFC Championship. I think that tracks, you know, as, as much as 1998 was probably a better team, you know, they were 15-1, and one, they were this juggernaut. Uh, it's a fresher wound from 2009, and it's one I think we all remember a little bit more vividly, especially the younger fans who were maybe kids in 1998. So, moving on, we're, again, pretty sparse on Vikings news, but we do have, I guess I'll call it, like, Vikings current events, uh, because the Vikings trotted out a whole bunch of their new coaches and, like, all of, really, the people with new positions and had them all do kind of intro pressers, mostly the offensive staff. Marwan Malouf was also in there. Uh, And I think this is a good opportunity to talk about, like, press conferences, especially this time of year and exactly what we can glean from them. Because I do think you can get some interesting information. It's usually not what was transcribed or, like, what's in the headline from a beat reporter or anything like that. But I do think that there is, like, good information we can get. So let's, like, go over some of these and, and talk about, like, these new offensive minds and how they talk. So I want to start with Marwan Maloof, who kind of had his first, like, media appearance as the official special teams coordinator of the Vikings. Uh, He got in front of reporters and answered some pretty standard, like, boilerplate questions, but there was one quote that got a little bit of traction on Twitter, a little bit more on Reddit, and people were kind of talking about it just uh, all over, was that he he was asked about, like, what do you look for in a kicker? And he kind of said, you know, I want somebody who's good, and I don't want to have to tweak them, which is pretty standard, right? Like, duh. But there is kind of an alternative to that where you you would say, oh, you know, we'll find someone with a bunch of potential and I can coach them up, which some coaches believe, you know, in other positions, the Vikings definitely believe in this for, like, defensive line, right? Let's get some guys with more athletic potential, we'll coach them up, versus I want somebody who is immediately ready to step in and kick. So th- there are two philosophies there, and I think that's a little bit more than just, like, the platitude that coaches tend to give out in press conferences. But the quote that really got people talking was something to the effect of, like, I want football players who also happen to be able to kick. And I think that set a lot of people off because if you just saw that quote, you might think it was some kind of like weird machismo, like masculinity thing. Like, oh, I want a kicker who, you know, can like stand up to physical punishment. And I, you know, I don't want a a wimpy kicker or whatever, which kind of doesn't make sense, right? Like who cares? Kickers never get hit. Just get somebody who can kick. Who cares if they're wiry? But that's not really what he was talking about. So I wanted to provide that context in case you're one of those people that only saw that quote and was like, wait, what? because that wouldn't make a lot of sense out of context, so it's understandable. Uh, But he was asked, like, that was his answer to a question about, like, mentally working with kickers. Like, if a kicker misses or if you have to change something and they're going through a slump, like, how do you deal with that? Because I think part of coaching kicking is technique, which Marwan Malouf kind of said, you know, I don't want to have to change a bunch of things, because these guys have been kicking for so long that, you know, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. You can tweak here and there, but, you know, you can't really do, like, total overhauls. Um, but mentally, it's kind of a different story, right? Like when Blair Walsh misses a kick, or now it's going to be Cody Parkey, who some people have talked about as a possible option for the Vikings because he's worked with Marwan Malouf before, and he was cut by the Bears after that double doink in the wild card round. And his answer was basically like, well, we kind of have to evaluate to get somebody who... Can handle it, you know, get somebody who is mentally tough enough, which is where that like I want football players uh, quote comes in. He wants that mentality. He wants a kicker who can come in and kind of understands what it's like to be part of a football team and has that you know that short memory you want to have at every position. He was kind of alluding to the same point you talk about like with a court when a young quarterback throws an interception you say okay you got to forget about it immediately. And he was talking about that's kind of a thing that like football players have to have, right? You get blown out, you have to come back the next week and try to bounce back, you can't dwell on it. And I think he was talking about, you know, he wants that same quality in his kicker and that's what he means by he wants a football player. He wants somebody who who gets it, who understands the processes and understands you know, who doesn't feel like they're separate from the rest of the team. And I think that's fair. I think that's just, like, his opinion on what the mental makeup of a kicker should be. I'm I'm no expert on, like, the art of kicking at all, so I won't weigh in on whether or not that's right, but I did want to provide that context. So moving on, there was also a Gary Kubiak press conference, and it was actually a really sweet one. You know, he talked about how he he missed football so much, and he's happy to be in, like, a more like principled coaching role. He did work for the Broncos for the last couple of years. I actually didn't know that. I thought he had just been kind of sitting, Uh, but he worked from home for one year as like a scouting personnel person. And then he worked another year in the building, Uh, but in very kind of like tucked away roles where like, I wouldn't use those seasons to like evaluate Gary Kubiak. And if you're interested in that, uh, there was when we first hired him, we did that episode, go check that out. But there wasn't really much in the way of, like, previewing the 2019 Vikings that we can really take away from this. It was a lot of platitudes, it was a lot of, like, personal stuff about him, and his philosophy and his relationship with, like, Rick Dennison and his son, who are both on the staff now. Not a lot that we, like, didn't already know. Uh, the one interesting tidbit that I saw was that he he was very open to, like, not doing things the way that he has always done them. He's talked a lot about and coaches do talk a lot about that all the time, so we'll see what happens when they actually get on the field. But he said, you know, yeah, i have like, run zone all the time, but you have to run gap a little bit, which is a, a different running scheme. We, maybe we'll get more into that on another day. Uh, but he talked about, you know, you have to look at the players you have and then see what they do well. I think he'll find that, you know, the Vikings have built a pretty heavy zone run roster in the first place, so he shouldn't have to change much, but it was nice to see that kind of philosophy from him, and it was also nice to hear him talk about, you know, turning over the reins to Kevin Stefanski and turning over the reins to Rick Dennison in terms of play design and stuff, and, and it really does seem like he's there to be a mind, and he's, he's there to be somebody, you know, some expertise to draw on, but I don't think he has any delusions of, of like, power taking things over. Um, I I do think he he might be lying in wait for, you know, if things go south with Kevin Stefanski, they can can hire him as the offensive coordinator straight away and have a much easier transition than if they didn't have him on staff, but I do think, by and large, he's been brought in to just, like, be a very good and smart brain on these zone run schemes, and Rick Dennison's a part of that. So speaking of Rick Dennison, we are going to talk about uh, some of his press conference stuff as well as Kevin Stefanski's. uh, But I'm going to step away for an ad break real quick. And when we come back, we'll touch on the rest of the pressers as well as the other stuff that happened over the the weekend. So I will see you all in a minute. (laughs)
0: Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Lockdown Podcast Network in this crazy, unprecedented and unnerving time. I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code MBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down, masterclass or at least your time at home masterclass.com slash PER is offering 15% off if you missed any of those go to lockdownpodcast.com slash offers that's lockdownpodcast.com slash offers thank you very much for tuning in to lockdown podcast network we hope to be here for you to give you a relief and respite from all the other news and thanks very much be safe and practice your social distancing
1: quote from that one that got people a little riled up where he talked about how he didn't think much needed to change on the offensive line And people kind of rightly were like, wait, whoa, what? No, a lot needs to change on the offensive line. It was horrible. It needs an overhaul. Everything needs to change about it. I mean, we just did a mock offseason where we literally changed every single person except for Brian O'Neill on it. So, again, providing context here, for one thing, I-, I think a lot of coaches will just come in and speak more positively than maybe they actually believe. I don't think Rick Dennison has any delusions about, like, how much work needs to be done here. But on top of that, you have to listen to the question that was actually asked of him, because he was talking about the type of player. Uh, and, and it was really like a question more about, you know, zone scheme and, hey, when you come in, you look at this roster, do you see guys that work in your scheme or do you need to go get different guys or like, how are you going to deal with that? And and his answer was super boilerplate and a lot of it was, you know, a lot of these press conferences you can pretty freely ignore. But if you're going to go in and analyze, his comments were really from the angle of like, yeah, we have a zone scheme and that's what we do best. Uh, And these guys seem to fit that okay. So we don't need to change much about the type of player that the Vikings are trying to acquire. I don't think he meant we don't need to change any of the players. I think he meant we don't need to change the traits we're looking for. So speaking of the traits that they're looking for, just a preview of what's coming down the pipe later this week. We're going to do a little bit of a combine preview. The combine is this weekend. And so like one of the traits that the Vikings have been looking for in offensive linemen is a pretty good three-cone time. The three-cone is a drill that they do in the combine that really tests like agility and, and like short area quickness, which is really important for like guards. Uh, in a power scheme or for like centers and like for offensive linemen in a zone scheme where you have to kind of get to one spot that's not that far away but you have to get there very quickly the three cone is great at testing your ability to do that and has a really good correlation with like success in those schemes in the NFL and the Vikings have been very wary of taking offensive linemen in the draft that like aren't good At that particular drill, so that would be something that Rick Dennison would come in and say, "Oh, you guys are looking for zone style linemen. All right, great. So we don't have to screw that up. So let's like, okay, next thing, right? I'm sure you know with these press conferences that actions will speak louder than words, and we'll probably forget all these quotes come you know March." 11th to 13th when the tampering period starts by like mid-march when free agency has largely come and gone we'll see exactly what the vikings think of their offensive line and if they do stand pat and don't do anything or don't pick up a bunch of free agent linemen then yeah we can question and be like hey wait why didn't they get anybody do they think the line is okay right now i think everybody and their mother knows that the line wasn't very good i'd be very shocked if anyone let alone an nfl coach thought otherwise but with Dennison, there was some other interesting stuff. Some leads that kind of got buried because of that quote. Uh, I really liked actually hearing him talk about how he teaches and his background as as like an engineer and in like academia. He you know taught math and stuff, so he kind of understands a little bit more about teaching. I will say that both his and Stefanski's and Kubiak's comments all still kind of point to Rick Dennison being more of a scheme mind and more of like a planner rather than like an actual hands on coach. But one point that he brought up that I thought was really cool and I want to talk about is uh, the the fact that he's going to kind of change how he presents information every time throughout OTAs and training camp and stuff. And essentially he said, like, I am going to present the scheme this way or present communication and concepts and stuff. I, I'm going to present all these concepts one way. And then the next time we talk about them, I'm going to present them a different way. And the reason he does that is because maybe one person had a really hard time learning it the first time. And if he presents it a different way, maybe that person... You know can learn it a little bit differently and the light turns on as he said and and if you do that a bunch of times then people who learn differently are going to have a, a greater likelihood of like understanding the concept and i think from like a philosophy perspective uh if you were to trade out you know mental mistakes versus technique mistakes if you were to like focus on one over the other in terms of like what to try to eliminate i think i would also try to eliminate mental mistakes before i tried to eliminate technique mistakes because think about like how an offensive lineman can screw up in pass protection like all the different ways that they can screw up right they can have a technique mistake they can throw their punch too early or they can step the wrong way and they can give the defensive lineman a better angle and then the defensive lineman blows by them right but at least you can get a hand on them when you do that and you probably will get beat, but if you were to get beat with a mental mistake, that means you blocked the wrong person, and somebody's coming free and not even being contested, and plus with like technique mistakes, sometimes you can like get your anchor and recover, right? Brian O'Neill did that a bunch last year, where he would come in way too high. As an offensive lineman, you want to keep your shoulders low, because it makes it easier to push. It's easier to push up than down, and Brian O'Neill is like not very good at that, right? He just has pad level issues, and it's just part of him being a raw rookie, and he would get he would like give up leverage all the time but he just has the athleticism to anchor and and to get into a spot where he can kind of like recover I, i'm okay with that if it means that he's blocking the right guy every time and of course you're, you know you're not hundred percent okay with it now you have to fix the technique mistakes and make him you know bet that much better but i think you have to start with getting everybody to at least attempt to block the right person and then you can focus on technique I think the Vikings of 2018 suffered a lot from mental errors. I think part of that was Pat Elfline just not being really that good at at calling protections. Um, He doesn't have all that much experience in it. He has a lot more experience just being a guard, being an interior lineman, and just pushing. But then, you know, you have situations where you double-team a nose tackle and a three-tech comes in without even being blocked and blows up Kirk Cousins. That's the kind of thing that will hurt you a lot more often than you didn't quite hold him back for as long as you wanted to. So I really thought that was interesting. I I like that from just a teaching perspective, and and I like that prioritization. But moving on to Kevin Stefanski, who also gave, I guess, what you would call his introductory press conference as the official offensive coordinator. So it's kind of weird when you're, like, taking an interim title off because he's already given a bunch of pressers. But this was, like, his first official, I'm the offensive coordinator, this is my staff, let's do this thing. And unfortunately, there's not really much we can glean from it. A lot of it was platitudes, and, oh, I'm excited to work with this guy, and I'm excited to work with this guy, and kind of boilerplate compliments that are just the things that you say about guys you just hired uh, to the media. But there were some themes that I thought were interesting and worth talking about. A lot of the questions that were asked were based on like, on like, okay, how's this dynamic going to work? Because you've got Gary Kubiak, who has way more experience than you, and yet you're going to be the one calling the plays. How's that going to go? And what's Rick Dennison actually going to do? What does a run game coordinator mean? Um, and Stefanski explained it pretty well, but run game coordinator or pass game coordinator is, is like an increasingly popular thing that, uh, and, and the way Stefanski explained it is that Rick Dennison is going to basically come up with the run game plan. He, the, the run game uh, that they are going to play on Sunday. He's basically going to curate the right plays to choose from and say, okay, I think this one's going to work well against them. This one's going to work well against them. You know, their, their three-tech isn't very good. We're going to run this play because of that. And, and that's going to be the kind of decisions that he's going to make based on scouting and based on just strategy. And that's kind of what he's always done in, like, Kubiak offenses. And then he's going to hand that to Kevin Stefanski on game day. And on game day, Stefanski actually says, all right, it's second and four. What run play do we have for second and four? All right, Rick gave me this one. We're going to go with that. And so it's his job to make decisions in the moment about like, all right, so he said that like this play is good against their bad pre-tech and they've been lining up in a in a way that makes them vulnerable to that, so we're going to use this play. And so it's Stefanski's job to kind of, like, take that curated list and turn it into an actual sequence of plays. And beyond that, he really described, like, Gary Kubiak and all the, like, more experienced people that have been brought in. And he kind of said, well, you know, they're a resource. They're people whose ideas I'm going to draw on and people who I'm going to listen to and take advice from. Um, And I think, like, his job primarily is going to be to take all of this expertise and experience and wisdom from people who have been doing this longer than he has and to, like, boil it into something that actually makes sense. So if you're worried about, like, too many cooks in the kitchen, I think St- Kevin Stefanski's actual job is to combat that problem and to say, all right, if these guys have conflicting ideas, I'm the one deciding, you know, whose idea we're actually going to go with. And he didn't say that very explicitly, but that's kind of the the theme that I got from listening to him talk. Uh, so I still do want to talk a little bit more about... Uh, what we heard from the coaches and uh, just catch you up on the weekend. But I am going to step away for the second ad break. And when I come back, we will finish up. All right, we are back. So there's two other press conferences that I wanted to talk about with Drew Petzing and Clint Kubiak, two guys that were kind of, uh, had been lower-level assistants for the Vikings before and came back. Kevin Stefanski actually touched on this and said, you know, everybody kind of knows each other a little bit, so it helps with that demeanor, maybe helps with that, like, too-many-cooks-in-the-kitchen thing, but we'll see how that actually goes down, you know, when the team starts losing. That's when that kind of stuff can really come to the to a head. But with Drew Petzing, you know, he was asked a lot of pretty standard stuff, you know, like, how is it working with two guys like Diggs and Thielen? And he was like, good, you know, and, and there's not much we can learn from, uh, press conferences that are really generic like that. Um, I thought it was interesting that he kind of dodged a Treadwell question too, you know, Hey, what does he do to improve? And, and essentially the answer was keep grinding, which isn't really anything new with Treadwell. I, I think the coaches have always been very wary to like point out specific things to the media or call them out too much to the media other than the odd, you know, like quintessential Zimmer comment. Uh, they've, they've been, they've kept all that really close to the chest for like what their opinion of the actual problems with him are. Uh, so we'll see how those things, like, develop going forward. And then uh, Clint Kubiak also gave, like, kind of an introductory press conference as the new quarterbacks coach. And he talked about, you know, working with his father and having worked with Kevin Stefanski before. Uh, if you recall from when the, the show when they were hired, uh, Clint Kubiak was a low-level assistant at the same time as Kevin Stefanski. Uh, and they had both been on the on the team, and I think it was like 2014. After everyone got fired off of Houston for that 2 and 14 season, Clint Kubiak ended up in Minnesota, where Gary Kubiak ended up in Baltimore with a bunch of his cronies and stuff. They all kind of like split off, and now they're back together in Minnesota. And I really think the only thing of any substance that we can glean from that press conference is that Clint Kubiak kind of sees himself as an implementer. Uh, I don't think he sees himself, and I don't think Petsing either sees themselves as like strategic minds ready to, you know, chime in with guys like Gary Kubiak and Rick Dennison and Kevin Stefanski, uh, all of whom who are, are, I think, regarded as like higher level offensive minds. And these guys are just there to, you know, get the players ready to play. And you do need those guys, right? I think that's what George Edwards does so well for the Vikings defense is, you know, it's Zimmer's scheme and Zimmer's the mastermind, but somebody has got to teach the players how to do it and make sure that they do it right. And, and I think that's, you know, Clint Kubiak sees that as his role, which is not always the case for quarterback coaches. You know, sometimes quarterbacks coaches have like scheme input and uh, like John Filippo in Philadelphia, he had scheme input and, and, like, strategic input in what they were doing over there, and I think that's part of why the Vikings came and hired him, and, and Clint Kubiak doesn't see himself as that. So we'll see, you know, the quarterback's coach is kind of, uh, like, an on-deck position all the time. Like, if the quarterback plays very well, that quarterback's coach will often, like, get an OC job or maybe even get a head coaching job. Um, like Zach Taylor, who was the quarterback's coach for Jared Goff, who is now the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. But it sounds like uh, Clint Kubiak is is not really going to have the sort of input that lends himself to like moving up further in this organization, especially while his dad's here. His dad's going to get those jobs before he does. So that's it for the coaching pressers. I wanted to spend a little time on that because it's our first kind of introduction to this new offensive staff and this new look offense that hopefully will fix a lot of the problems that made the Vikings really stagnant in 2018. But that is not the only thing that happened over the weekend. Uh, The Vikings were officially awarded three compensatory picks. So if you're unfamiliar with how that works or if you're, like, new to uh, following the NFL or Vikings or the draft, so every year the league awards uh, extra draft picks to teams that lost a whole bunch in free agency the previous year. So the Vikings, who lost all three of their quarterbacks to free agency, uh, in addition to some other players that went elsewhere, they ended up getting three picks— the formula itself for like how they determine who gets what is kept proprietary, so we don't know it as specifically, but it's been reverse-engineered pretty accurately, so what the Vikings were projected to get was three picks in the late rounds, that's what they got, so this shouldn't really be a surprise if you've been following that whole thing, uh, but now it's official and they actually have them, so they're up to eight picks in the draft, and... Even though those picks are very low, they're all 6th and 7th rounders, guys who maybe won't even make the team, I know that the team really values quantity of picks over quality of picks. They're very, you know, they've traded down a whole bunch in drafts in the past, and they're very willing to kind of say, especially in the late rounds, I will take two sixth rounders versus a 5th rounder any day. They actually went back on that philosophy in the 2018 draft by drafting Daniel Carlson, if you remember, they traded up to do that, but by and large, they like to... Uh, stock up on these low-level picks because they're basically extra chances that, by and large, are worth worth the same. If you look at like hit rates at anything after round four, the hit rate is almost exactly the same, and it's really low. So trading like one fifth rounder for two sixth rounders is kind of like doubling your value because the difference between a fifth rounder and a sixth rounder is really, really small. So you just kind of got two of the same pick. So getting three picks is probably great news for the Vikings because they really do see those sixth and seventh rounders as like valuable people. And even if those guys don't end up being starters, which they almost never do, right? Guys like Antonio Brown or Stefan Diggs are like super rare. You still need special teamers. You need guys to, you know, build out your depth and essentially that erases work that the Vikings probably felt they would have had to do otherwise to, like, stock up on those lower round picks and kind of fill out their roster. They probably would have felt like they had to do some trading down or some sort of maneuvering to get those extra picks, and now they don't have to do it. And, and you know, drafting eight players is better than drafting five players. I know the Vikings see it that way, and I tend to agree. So we'll see how all that goes on. You know, the Combine is this weekend, which means we're going to get way deeper into draft talk in the coming weeks and leading up to the actual draft. But that is going to do it for this episode of Locked On Vikings. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will be back tomorrow. I was actually planning on doing something about the franchise tag and, like, transition tags today. Uh, We'll probably do that tomorrow unless some other news comes out that changes things. We'll see how all that turns out. But... Until next time, I have been your host. My name is Luke Braun. You can follow me at Luke Braun NFL. You can follow the show at Locked On Vikings. And if you listen in your car, just ask your smart device to play podcast Locked On Vikings. You don't have to lift a finger. I will see you all tomorrow and skull.
0: Hey, Locked On Minnesota listeners. This is Tony Abbott here to tell you about the brand new Locked On Wild podcast, where my co host Joe Bully and I break down the Minnesota Wild every single day. How can you listen? Just search for Lockdown Wild in your favorite podcast app and subscribe to bring Lockdown Wild to your device every day.